The words of God that we consider for our sermon today is the gospel reading from Luke chapter 4. It takes place when Jesus returns to his hometown of Nazareth, but he doesn't quite get the hero's welcome that we might expect. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the gospel of our Lord. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, or it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Super wild card weekend. That's what the NFL is calling this weekend, the first round of the playoffs, where 14 teams begin their journey to try and be crowned Super Bowl champion on February 13th. Now, who's going to win the Super Bowl is anyone's guess. But that doesn't stop people from having their own very strong, sometimes, opinions. And they have these confirmation biases that, that help to make those opinions even stronger. For instance, if you are a, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, you think that your team is going to win the Super Bowl for a second year in a row because you have Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, and you will tend to read articles, listen to talk show hosts, or associate with other people who agree with you on that matter. You can have your opinions on why it is the case. Or if you happen to be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, 
You will argue that they have absolutely nothing to lose, and as I just found out just a few minutes before the service started, that their injured wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster, is now active, that they might actually upset the Kansas City Chiefs tomorrow night. I know Dave Jameson would be very happy about that. People can have their opinions on why that is the case. But it isn't just in the realm of sports that our confirmation bias comes into play. In fact, in other areas of life, it can filter down into them, including the, the hot-button issues of today. One such hot-button issue is our reaction and our response to the coronavirus. On the one hand, you have people that, that think this is of great concern and everybody needs to be vaccinated. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have people that say it's not that big of a thing that we have to worry about and people should be free to choose whether they want to be vaccinated or not. It doesn't matter on which side of the spectrum you happen to fall. You will always think that you are right, your opinion is right, and you will have the facts and figures to back up such an opinion. Now let me be clear. It doesn't matter what confirmation bias tells you which team is going to win the Super Bowl. None of that's a sin. Likewise, it doesn't matter on which side of the spectrum you fall when it comes to coronavirus. But we do need to be careful in one area of life on what our confirmation bias happens to tell us. And that's what our confirmation bias has to tell us about God and his word, on what his word says and what his word doesn't say. We need to be aware of that confirmation bias because it could be a sin if we are wrong, as it was with the people in Nazareth when Jesus went back to his hometown. Now, we just got done celebrating Christmas where we heard about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But he spent a majority of his life in Nazareth, a northern town in Galilee, the place where his mother Mary and his earthly father Joseph had come from. And it was there that, that he grew up far away from Jerusalem and the scrutiny of the religious leaders. It's perhaps only a few months before, Jesus had, had left Nazareth and gone south to get baptized by John the Baptist. And he began to make a name for himself, but not as a carpenter, rather as a teacher, as a rabbi, as a miracle worker. And so you can imagine that there may have been started to be whispers when people heard that Jesus was coming back to Nazareth. Everybody wanted to see him, that he had made a name for himself. And they knew just where to find him. They knew he would be in the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. You can imagine that the synagogue was perhaps a little bit more full than it usually was, brought by the, the recent notoriety of Jesus. And Jesus was asked, as the native son, to, to come up and say a few words about some words from God's word. And he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in which he, he turned to the particular section that we read earlier today from Isaiah chapter 61, talking about the Lord's anointed. And this is what it says. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After he had read from the prophet Isaiah, he handed the scroll back and sat down at the teacher's seat, began to expound to them the gracious meaning of those words. Those words were far more than just about the Israelites returning from exile in Babylon or Assyria. Jesus made it the summary of his sermon. He said, these words, the words that you've just heard, they are fulfilled today in your hearing. From there, he went on to explain exactly how and why he was the anointed one of God, the Christ, the Messiah, and people were mesmerized and amazed at his words. But then something changed. And it wasn't anything that Jesus said. It was their confirmation bias of what they remembered about Jesus. The words that Jesus were speaking were saying that he was foretold by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before, and yet they had known him for the last 20 or 30 years growing up there in Nazareth. Those words didn't seem to jive with what they knew about Jesus. Oh, sure, Jesus never would have gotten into trouble as a kid. He never would have engaged in any shenanigans, but they still would have remembered him as that boy, as that young man who was the son of the carpenter and said, how in the world could this guy have had divine origins? How in the world is Isaiah talking about this Jesus whose mother we know. And so they let their confirmation bias get in the way of Jesus' words. When even though they knew him so well and it should have drawn him closer to them, their knowing him so well actually pushed them further away and actually invited them to ask Jesus for miracle, for proof that he was who he said he was. Your words aren't good enough for us, Jesus. That's what their confirmation bias said. They would only accept Jesus on their terms. But if the Bible is clear about anything, is that God doesn't operate on our terms. He operates on his own terms, and he says, come and see and believe the terms I have set. And this is shown very clearly when it comes to God's grace or God's favor. And how much of a, a headbutting moment this provides to our confirmation bias when we think about God's favor. The last line that we hear quoted from Jesus is this Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's a specific reference to the Jewish year of Jubilee. 
Or in the Old Testament, we hear that every seven years, all the slaves and servants were to be freed and all of the land was be, to be returned to their original owners. It was a great reset of sorts. Now, we don't know how many times this actually happened, but it was supposed to be a, a once-in-every-seven-year reminder of God's grace and favor upon his people. But so quickly, the Israelites forgot the whole purpose and rationale, the reason for God's favor, and they almost came to expect it because of who they were. They almost came to expect that God would show them his favor because they were Israelites or because they were doing something good for God and they deserved it. But that's never what God's favor was all about. It was never about who they were or what they had done. It was purely undeserved and for just as many times as God showed his favor upon the Israelites, he showed his favor upon non-Israelites too. Jesus gave just two examples from the Old Testament of how God showed favor to a non-Israelite over and against an Israelite. First of all, when Elijah, during a three and a half year famine, went outside of the borders of Israel and helped keep a widow alive through miraculous means or his successor, Elisha, when he healed Naaman of his leprosy. Two non-Israelites that God showed favor to over and against other Israelites. And this was just too much for Israel. They couldn't imagine why God should show his favor on someone else other than them. And it drove them to changed their thoughts about Jesus. From his amazing words, they were, they were driven to, to throw him off a cliff and they would have done so had Jesus not miraculously walked away. Such is the power of the confirmation bias. Might seem like a little bit of a stretch to think that, that what happened in Nazareth could ever happen today or could ever happen here. But to think that is to ignore our own confirmation bias and the powerful ability we have to butt heads with God and his word. And it's a simple reason why this is going to happen. Because our confirmation bias, our natural confirmation bias is rooted in our sinful nature. A sinful nature that the Bible calls completely corrupt and dead in sin. And some of the ways this confirmation bias comes to light is in some of the things that God says in his word and what God doesn't say in his word. One topic that can suffer from confirmation bias is what God's word says about the LGBTQ community. The LGBTQ community in God's word butt heads with one another. Do they butt heads with you? Or what God says about the clear and distinct roles that he set, has set aside for men and women, not only in the church, but in the world as well. This too butts heads with the world. Does it butt heads with you? 
Moreover, God's word says about fellowship, our associating religiously with those who, who share the same beliefs as we do and to separate from those who disagree. This butts heads with what the world tells us. Does it butt heads with you? Our confirmation bias can also affect how we view God's grace or God's favor. That we too, like the Israelites, can sometimes expect God to show his favor upon us over and against other people. We may expect favoritism to be shown to us who are here in church on a regular basis. Or we might expect favoritism if we've been a lifelong Christian. Might expect favoritism for all of the things that we have done for God, that God should somehow show us his favor more than other people, at least more than the people that don't show up to church quite as much. More than the people who live completely outright and unrepentant lives. How often have I even found myself hoping that those kind of people don't come in here because of the way that they act, because of their lifestyle, because of their voting record. Yet this confirmation bias, far from bringing us closer to God, actually leads us further away. And it's one of the devil's powerful tools to set our confirmation bias against God's word and to say, if it's something that I can't understand or wrap my head around, then I'm not going to believe it. God has to do something for me. He has to play by my rules. He has to do it on my terms. But God doesn't play like that. God's favor doesn't show favorites. God doesn't act on our terms. He acts on his, and he says to believe it, whether we can understand it or not. Because in reality, our confirmation bias is the very reason that Jesus was anointed in the first place. Our confirmation bias, rooted in the sinful nature, is what blinded us to God's truth. It's what chains us and destines us for hell. It's what held us oppressed to the lies of Satan. But God would not have the sinner die. And so the Lord's favor is just that. He shows his favor not because we deserve it, but because we don't deserve it. Jesus is the one who came and brought the Lord's favor, who set the prisoners free, who gave sight to the blind, who released the oppressed. He came to bring good news that our confirmation bias does not keep us from heaven. Our sins do not keep us from God's love. He came to take all of that away, and he did. The Lord's favor does not play favorites. Now, our confirmation bias is something that we will have to deal with throughout our life. And we will always have a confirmation bias as to which NFL team is the best, a confirmation bias as far as a, a political opinion or any hot-button issue. We may even have confirmation bias when it comes to God's word as well, especially about things that we don't understand and sometimes things that we disagree with. But don't let that confirmation bias lead you away from God. Rather, set that bias aside and rejoice in the Lord's favor. 
a favor that has been shown to you, to me, to all people. Because God's favor does not show favorites. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carry it out to completion on the day of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.